Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. All right. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing all right. We're doing all right today. Feels like summer might actually be here now. So thanks a lot. For every person that was complaining about it being too cold and wet and all that, y'all need to repent, okay? The heat is here. Uh, That's all right. I hope you guys are enjoying your summer with your kids, getting into the summer rhythms. It is hard. It's hard to get into those summer rhythms. You're raising kids right now, trying to convince them that there is more to life than sitting in front of a screen all day long, every day during the summer. (laughs) The struggle is real, people, but uh, we're good. it's good to be in this series with you guys. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, we'll have it on screen as well, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, we're gonna be looking at a story in Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 29, a miracle that Jesus did. Sooner or later, at one point or another, you're gonna need a miracle in your life. There's gonna be a point where you don't have enough influence, you don't have enough intelligence, you don't have enough gifting, you don't have what you need, and you're gonna need God to show up. It may be because a boss comes to you and says, I'm sorry, but we're gonna have to let you go. How many of y'all know when your, your finances are getting hit, your job gets hit, your prayer life can get pretty serious pretty quick. Maybe when a doctor comes to you and says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else that we can do. In those times, you certainly could use a miracle. You certainly will call on God to help you. Uh, it may be that your teenage daughter comes to you and says, I want you to know I'm in love with so-and-so. And And at that point, you're gonna need a miracle and I would suggest some rat rat shot for your shotgun as well. Just make sure all your guns are good to go. The good news is this, throughout the word of God, people needed miracles and God showed up. We see this happen over and over and over again. What kinds of people does God do miracles for? More good news, God does miracles for ordinary people. He does it for rich people, poor people. He does it for men, for women. He does it for the young, the old. He does it for spiritual people and unspiritual people. I believe that God does miracles and I believe that he wants to do miracles for people. It says in Psalm 77, verse 13, your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people's With your mighty arm, you redeem your people. But here's the thing. I want to see more of that. I want to see God move in miraculous ways. I've seen God do this. Over the course of my life and in my family's life, I've seen God move. But I need more of it. We're living in a day and age where there is so much hurt, there's so much pain, and there's so much brokenness. We need God to move. When we look at these cards every week that people leave underneath these crosses and we read through those, we can tell, man, we need a God that's moving in a miraculous way in these people's lives. We hear these reports of our pastors that are coming back and telling us about the work that's going on in Ukraine right now that we're supporting. But he's telling us about the genocide. It's, it's literal genocide that's happening there right now. And all these families and these kids and these, these moms that have left their husbands behind to fight in this war. 
and you hear some of those stories, you know, man, we need a God who still works miracles. We need God to move in a miraculous way. Or we have these people that on a, on a weekly basis will walk into this building with these huge needs, whether it's a financial need or a relational need or an emotional need. And we need God to show up. We need God to move. Or as we meet people in our outreach efforts and meet people in the city and the community that are so broken and lost and have so much pain in their past and they need God to move. No matter where it is, it's clear that we need our God of miracles to be close. And I believe that he wants to be. In the, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, one of the judges' name was Gideon, and he had a, a real attitude when it came to God showing up in a miraculous way. And an angel of the Lord showed up with Gideon. Uh, a lot of theologians believe that that actually may have been Jesus. There's a couple times in the Old Testament where an angel of the Lord would show up, but it seems to indicate it, it was at least a shadow of who Jesus was. But this angel shows up and he challenges Gideon. But the third, first thing Gideon goes to is, where have you been? Where have all the miracles been? So let's go to that passage in Judges 6, 12. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty soldier, another translation, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Okay, well, here's the thing. When you're in a situation or a circumstance and you feel overwhelmed in that. How many of y'all know sometimes it is hard to accept, to believe, and to stand on the truth of what God would say about you even though you don't feel that way? That's certainly where Gideon's like, the, 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 where Gideon is right now, he's literally in a hole in the ground, okay? And he's trying to separate chaff from wheat. But here's the thing, you need a breeze, you need wind in order to separate chaff from wheat. But he's in a pit because he's hiding. He's fearful. He doesn't want the Midianites to see him because the Midianites are just stealing everything from God's people. They're terrorizing them. So he's in a pit trying to accomplish something that really can't be accomplished in a pit. And the angel of the Lord shows up and tries to encourage him. Some of you may feel like you're in a pit right now. And, and when you're trying to, to separate chaff from wheat in a pit, what you're doing is you're just throwing this up and this dust and stuff is just coming down on site. You're just, you're just covered and nasty, and maybe you feel that way in life. It's like, man, I'm just covered in the mess of this world. I'm covered in it. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and tries to remind you about who God says you are. But in that moment, it can be difficult when you're covered with all the natural that's around you. So it goes on to say in verse 13, stranger Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever brought that before the Lord like God? <laughs> If you're with me, if you love me, what the heck? Why is this happening? And where are all the miracles our ancestors have told us about? Such as when God brought them out of Egypt. Now the Lord has thrown us away and has let the Midianites completely ruin us. I think it's a fair question. Okay, God, where are all the miracles? There's been times like that in my life. I'll read through the word and I'm, I'm seeing God move and do all these miracles and miraculous things. And I'm like, God, I just need you to do like one little thing. Like one little thing. It's not like I'm asking for like, you know, locusts to come and consume people's crops. You know, I'm not asking for big things. I'm just asking for, and it can be difficult in those moments. Like, where are you at, God? 
for me, I've heard a lot about things growing up. And here's the truth. I have seen God move in miraculous ways. But I want to see more for us today. I want to see more for us today. But here's the question. Why don't we see more miraculous things from God? I don't know all the answers to that, but I will say this. Most of the miraculous things I've seen, I've seen them in other places around the world. I've seen them in other countries. Specifically, I've seen them in third world countries. Why isn't it happening? Well, maybe one of the reasons why it's happening, not happening here and it's happening in other places is because what I've noticed in those places, all they have is God. That's all they have. They are desperate for God. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't see as many miracles here is because we get real desperate when, when things get difficult, but when things aren't difficult, we feel like we have everything we need. So why would we need God? I don't know all the answers, but I do know this. I know that God still wants to move. Why aren't there more healings? Why aren't the dead being raised? Why aren't the blind seeing, the deaf hearing? Or my favorite, why isn't God shutting someone's mouth like he used to do in the Bible when they're trying to spout off a bunch of nonsense? <laughs> right? Or the modern day translation of that, God, why aren't you seizing people's fingers up when they're trying to type out a bunch of slander about people? Why aren't you doing that, God? I know that God wants to still do miracles. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. It's how he taught. It's how he acted. All throughout the gospel, we see miraculous, the miraculous hand of God on display. So I want to look at this miracle in Matthew today because I think there's some angles that we can look at that we can learn from. And I think that this miracle in particular teaches us how to pray when we're in need of a miracle. So going to our main text in Matthew chapter 20, starting verse 29, it says this, and Jesus and his disciple, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a crowd followed him, large crowd. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David. Okay, I want you to highlight that because that's significant. We'll come back to it. Have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. So let me give you a little bit of context. There's a huge crowd following Jesus at this point, uh, probably between 10 to 20,000 people. And on a journey like, Jesus, on this, like this, Jesus would walk and he would teach. He would walk and talk. So he, he, would, he would walk along, but he'd also be giving sermons. Okay, now why so many people following? Well, there's a good chance a lot of people, those people were just following because there were signs and wonders happening. I don't know about you, but like even if I didn't know who he was, if miracles are happening, I'm like, I wanna check this out. I wanna see what else happens, okay? But as they're walking, they're also walking along this road outside of Jericho where a particular bush would grow along this road. It's called a balsam bush. 
And it grew in other places, but it was right along the side of the road. And the doctors of that time would actually come and harvest a part of this bush and use it to, to make a salve that they would apply to people's eyes. And at that point, they believed that it could help restore eyesight. Okay, so it wasn't just that there was thousands of people following Jesus. There's also hundreds, if not thousands of people along this roadside, many of them blind, just hanging out, hope, hanging on to hope that some medical experiment might work on them, that they could be healed. So they're desperate. But what's interesting to me is, clearly there's a lot of people that are blind, but out of these hundreds or maybe even thousands of people, two of them set themselves apart. How? Why? Let's look at that. I wanna look at the first angle. The first angle is this, we see the hurting. We see the hurting. How many of y'all can see the hurting right now in our culture, in our nation? I mean, it, you don't have to look very far. It isn't just like, man, these crazy things happening in other places around the world. It's like, no, it's happening right here. It's happening right here. It says, it says in verse 32, blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So what can we learn from them? I think these blind men are teaching us a little bit something about how to pray, how to call on God. Number one, you gotta pray from the bottom of your heart. Pray from the bottom of your heart. It says they cried out, they cried out. When I was in Bible school, uh, one of the classes that we went through because we, we worked with local churches and helped with youth groups and stuff. So we had this class um, on how to pray for people at altar. There's altar ministry training, okay? There's a lot of practical things. Actually, it's one of my favorite. There's a bee flying around here. Just want you guys to be aware. It landed on my arm. It's coming back to give me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get out of here. I'm serious. It landed on my arm. I didn't realize it was there. My security, I don't know if they were asleep or whatever, but it's like, that was your chance, big boy. You could have tased that sucker, but... The devil just be so busy sometimes. I'm sorry, that was, that was the joke from the first service. It's still bad, it's still bad. In this class, they were teaching us about how do you pray for people, you know? And, and so they gave us a lot of practical things. And I remember one of the times that I, we had an opportunity to, to use some of the things that they taught us in the altar ministry training class. We were at a retreat. It was gonna be a couple of nights. It was in a different youth group, a different church than what we normally would attend. And we were coming to the end of one of the, the services and there was an altar call and the worship team was up there. And if you've ever been to a camp or retreat or anything like that, especially around youth, one thing you know is the worship band, they're always in their own little world, right? So they're on stage just jamming out. It's like 115 decibels and we're in front of them trying to pray for people, right? So these people are coming up to the stage and this young man came up to me and he wanted me to pray for him. And so I'm doing my best to hear him. I got his name, that's important. But I was trying to hear what he wanted me to pray for. It was really difficult to hear. So I'm leaned in, I'm like right next to this guy uh, trying to hear what he's saying. But all I could pick up, all I really heard was drinking, drinking, okay? So I just went with it. And I'm like, okay, I can go with that, drinking. So I started praying for this guy. Now, one of the things that they teach you with altar ministry praying is when you're praying for someone, once you start praying, that you could kind of keep your eyes open a little bit so you can be aware of what's going on around you, but so that you can watch the person that you're praying for 
and watch their body language so that you can just get a read on if there's anything weird going on or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't do that because it was so loud. So I'm like right next to this guy's ear and I am praying, man. I am bringing, I'm calling down the fire of God on his life. I am binding and rebuking every demonic force that would ever bring a spirit of addiction in his life from generation to generation. I bound it five generations back and I've bound it 10 generations going forward. And I just, man, I prayed and I prayed with passion and I prayed with conviction and I felt good about it. I was like, man, I am a really godly person. And then I said, amen. And when I stepped back and I looked at this guy's face, he was giving me one of these. I was like, I don't know why you're giving me that face. That prayer was awesome, all right? So if you still got a problem, this must be a demon that can only come out through prayer and fasting, okay? But that's your deal, okay? But it stuck with me. So we prayed, we did some other ministry. And later on that night, I went and talked to the guy's youth pastor. He's like, hey man, I prayed for so-and-so earlier. Uh, I, it was just a little weird. He's like, yeah, he told me about that. I was like, oh, okay. I know, it was awesome. And he's like, well, here's the thing. That kid is like one of the most godly kids in our youth group. He's like very, very strong convictions about stuff. And, uh, and recently he's been really convicted about how much Coca-Cola he's been drinking. <laughs> and so he asked you to pray that he would be able to overcome his temptation to drink Coca-Cola. And I said, well, he will never struggle with alcohol. <laughs> I guarantee you that he won't. His kids won't, his grandkids won't, his wife never will. They're her whole family, they're covered. I promise you, there will never be a spirit of addiction in that family ever. So it's a little embarrassing. But the one thing that was really important that I learned is that when I prayed for someone else, I needed to pray for them like I would wanna be prayed for. You know, like if I, if, I, if I made the move to come up to an altar and I'm just gonna humble myself and maybe even embarrass myself and ask somebody to pray for me for something, like I need God to move in my life. Will you pray with some passion? Like you're gonna believe that he's gonna move. I need that. But what I've learned is that should also translate to how I call on God personally when it's just me and him. Like my prayers need to come from my gut with conviction, with passion. Pray with that. God is not deaf. He can hear you. But I promise you, God is moved by passion. God is moved by sincerity and honesty and people that are real. And it's important. And these, these guys, man, they were just giving all out. It was a prayer. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Crying out passionately. And it couldn't have been quiet around Jesus. Thousands, it's not like they're all just like, hey, everybody be quiet, what's following Jesus here? Like they're all having their own conversations there's lots of animals, there's all these noises. So these guys had to have been screaming as loud as they could. What kind of passion do you bring in your prayer when you come before the Lord? 
I think about when our kids, you know, when our kids ask us for something versus when they ask us for something with passion, right? Now, I'm not talking about like drama. I'm not talking about crying and complaining type asking. I'm talking about like when your kid comes, she's like, dad, can we please do this? Please. I think about when our kids finally decided that it was time for us to have a pet as a family. Like for a long time, we didn't have a pet. Like we're like, hey, we're keeping your kids alive. That's enough for now, okay? But I remember at one point, one evening, our kids asked us to come in and sit in the living room. So we came and we sat down. The four of them were standing in front of us and they turned on the TV. And then one of them sat behind a computer and began to show us a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) of all the reasons why having a pet dog was a good idea for our family. The type of breed that we should get, the, 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 the whole chart of who was gonna feed it when, all that went out the door, we know that. But here's the thing, like when they went to that effort with that kind of passion and conviction, how many of y'all know we got a dog not long after that? Like it happened. But it wasn't just that they asked, it was that they put in their heart behind it, their passion behind it. One of the things that that all of you moms know is you can distinguish what kind of cry your kid has. You can distinguish that. Like, I can't always tell, right? Most of it, I just ignore all of it usually, okay? But Cody, like, I just watch her cue. Like, if we hear a, a kid crying, she'll be able to know that's just them being dramatic. They're just hungry. They're gassy, you know, whatever it is. Like, she, like they, they, know, they know all those things. Or are they really hurt? Until Cody gets up to move towards it, I don't even bother. Like, she knows. She knows what kind of cry. Well, the Heavenly Father, he knows. He knows your cry. And I think he's looking for your heart. Because here's the thing. You can have a heart without prayer, but you can't have real prayer without your whole heart. It's gonna take that. And the reason why this is important, because I've learned this in my own life, the longer that you're a Christian, the easier it is for you just to fall back on a bunch of memorized prayers that aren't connected to your soul. You just get into those routines, right? This happens for us like around blessing the meal. I'm not saying like it's a bad thing. Teach your kids like a memorized prayer to bless the meal. But I also think sometimes at time we can do that in a lot of different ways. It's just, well, here's the Christianese, like our own little language, these things that we've memorized, that when we pray, they're the same things we say every time. Here's what I know. I think Father God would rather you pray five minutes with a passionate heart and not all the right words than an hour with words that don't mean anything to your spirit or to your soul. He'd rather hear five minutes of you just screaming and crying and not even sure what to say, but with your whole heart than an hour of rhetoric and things that you've always said before. Another angle that we can see in this story is we see the hecklers. In verse 31, the crowd rebuked them, told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. 
One thing I know is when we get desperate for God, there will always be people there trying to throw water on our passion. So number two, ignore the hecklers, ignore them. You'll notice Jesus and these two blind guys, they didn't even pay attention. It did not phase them one bit, okay? And more than likely, it was probably some of the disciples telling these guys to be quiet because the disciples always thought like, hey, we, we know what Jesus needs to do. We're, we're kind of like his bodyguards here, okay? So pipe down, he's busy. He's telling an important story right now. But there are gonna be hecklers. There's gonna be people that are telling you, you need to stop it with that. Cut it out. The word of God isn't relevant anymore. The standard of the word of God. No, you could read it this way. No, that's being taken out of context. Don't say it that way. The truth and love doesn't have a place in our society and culture anymore. Everybody should just be able to believe whatever they want to believe say whatever they wanna say. And because we live in a post-Christian society and because we live in a culture where there is no standard of morality anymore, when it comes to you needing God to move in a significant way in your life, there's gonna be plenty of naysayers and hecklers. You've got, you're gonna to have to decide to ignore them. But let me give you a hint on that. Do not let social media be your primary prayer affirmation platform. I don't think there's anything wrong with you going to social media and saying, we need prayer for something, okay? But I would say this, if you go to social media and asking people to pray, that should be like the third or fourth group of people that you ask to pray. You should have an inner circle of people that know you and know exactly what's going on and can pray very specifically, pray with conviction and also challenge you about where you're missing it in reference to the word of God and his truth for your life. You better have that group. You better have a couple of layers before you just go straight to social media because once they hit social media, I guarantee you there's gonna be some hecklers. They're gonna say a bunch of stuff that doesn't even help. Well, if you just had more faith, Maybe God's not answering because of some sin in your life. It's probably because you're from Texas. <laughs> or Alabama. It just depends on what college team you support. You're being selfish. This is embarrassing. Why are you even telling people about this? You probably just need to accept your lot in life. Here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people out there that have good intentions. They mean well. But they're hecklers. <laughs> they're not gonna build your faith. They're not gonna challenge you according to the standard of the word of God. So you're gonna have to shut them down. Also, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Be persistent. Be persistent, be persistent. Here's what I do know about prayer. When you're asking God for something, God always answers prayer. He answers yes, he answers no, he answers not now, but he always answers. So if you feel like you're getting a not now answer, 
Let me encourage you with something. Keep on praying and be open to the Holy Spirit helping you align your life with the word of God. Because there's a good chance if you're not getting the answer you would like to get yet and you feel like you're getting a not now, it may be because God's not interested in you getting ahead of your own character. And God won't give you something that your character is not ready to carry. God won't give you something that your spiritual maturity is not ready to handle. And so if it is a not now, go before the Lord, go before the Holy Spirit and go to the standard of his word and say, are there areas of my life that I need to continue to align with? Maybe that's why I haven't gotten the answer that I need yet. Something to consider because maybe you're not spiritually mature enough. And what I have found in my own life, something that would typically be a blessing can't be a blessing until I'm spiritually mature enough to know how to hold on to it. If you don't have the spiritual maturity, then it can be a curse, not a blessing. It's like when you have little kids and you're trying to teach them how to do different stuff, but their arms and hands are just not big enough to hold it yet. There's a reason why they need to be mature enough before you hand them those things. They're not ready for it. Another angle that we see is we see the healer. We see the healer. We got thousands of people around Jesus and he makes time. He is led by Father God and the Holy Spirit to these two guys in need crying out. And Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, again, uh, it wasn't that Jesus lacked intuition, okay? It wasn't like he's walking along the road, he's been on this road before, he knows there's blind people all over the place, he knows why there's blind people. These two guys who are probably pretty clearly having a difficult time making their way around is calling out. He's not like, I wonder what they need. What's going on? No, there are many times in your own life, God knows what you need before you were even born. He knows every detail of what you need and he knows the perfect provision for every need. And so when God is asking you to pray with passion, when he's asking you to persevere, and when he's asking you specifically what you need, it's because he knows your own ears need to hear you confessing something in faith. But you know what else? The devil needs to hear that you're gonna confess where your help comes from. Who's gonna show up in this need? I'm gonna bring it before the only one who can provide exactly what I need and when I need it. So number four, be specific. Be specific. Why? Because specific prayers get specific answers. But vague prayers, you might get an answer, but how are you gonna even know it was God? It's vague enough. I mean, it could have just been bad pizza you ate the night before. So be specific. If my kids came to me one day and they say, hey, dad, I need you to help me today. I'll be like, done, already did it. I paid the electricity bill. <laughs> You're welcome. 
glad you finally recognized. But they're not being specific. Help you with what, how, when. Get specific. Prayers like help me, bless me, have mercy on me. Okay, they all sound great, but what does it mean? What do you mean? Help you how? Bless you how? So often, unfortunately, we're only really specific with really shallow requests. You know, you notice that? Like how how many of you ever prayed for a parking spot before? Okay. Because you don't want to walk 60 extra feet. You know, it's like, God, if you could give me one right there at the front row, right there by the doors. Well, the heat is where it is right now. I'm going to be praying for the same thing, right? But why aren't we that specific with everything? The big and the small request. The big and the small request. Be, be specific no, bit, no matter how big the issue is. But this is how I pray for people, Okay. When I pray for someone, say if somebody came up to me and they were needing prayer for healing. Oh, by the way, I want to give you a praise report. A, a man, a gentleman's been coming for a church for a while. He, he has multiple issues. Um, he was struggling uh, his gallbladder. Apparently, it's incredibly painful when it starts to swell. And so he came last week and he said, I'm having issues with my gallbladder. It's the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. Will you guys pray for me? It feels like somebody's reaching in and trying to tear it out of my body. And so, so we prayed. And so at the end of first service, I see him. Service is not even over yet. He's sitting over here on the side. He's trying to get my attention. He's like waving at me. And so as soon as I could, I walked over to him and he, he grabs my hand. He pulls me in. He's like, I want you to know that ever since you prayed for me, I have had absolutely no pain in my gallbladder. And I believe that Jesus healed me. Okay. Okay, so, but I want, you, I want you to know how I prayed for him. I prayed for him like I would want to be prayed for. I prayed for him like I'd want to be prayed for. But I prayed with full confidence and full faith that I believe that I still serve a God who still heals, that still does miracles. I've seen it a couple of times. But here's the thing, even if I hadn't seen a bunch of the the normal miracles, if you will, that a lot of us are asking for, physical healings, you know, financial miracles, those types of things, I have seen God do the supernatural miracle of saving people's souls thousands of times. And if that's the only miracle I ever see, that's enough for me. He is still a God of miracles. But I pray and I say, God, I know that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and the stripes were placed on his back are specifically placed there for our healing. And so I speak to every muscle tissue and cell in this man's body. And specifically, I speak to his gallbladder and I command it to fall into submission to your perfect will and word. That the way that it was designed, it would work that way and function that way. And God, we receive that healing and we believe. And God, regardless of anything else that's going on, I pray that you would use this situation to draw my brother in Christ in closer intimacy with you because that is your number one priority. We ask and believe in Jesus' name for full healing of this gallbladder where we know that you are sovereign 
and we trust you for every outcome because even if we don't get the answer we want, we know the, worst, the rest of your word is true and you work all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So even if we don't get the answer that we want, we know it is still for our good, no matter what. We trust you, believe you for it. Because I don't know what God's ultimate sovereign plan is. I'm gonna pray with full faith that he can move in an instant. And then know that even if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, it's still the best. Because he's good even if. And what I've learned is sometimes, sometimes, the only way somebody's gonna get that miracle and that healing that I prayed for it's not gonna be on this side of heaven. But because I'm first and foremost a citizen of heaven, I'm first and foremost a child of God, I'm not driven and, and dictated by a natural world and the constraints of time and space. I'm driven by an eternal God. I'm driven by his kingdom and his will. However he wants to bring the healing, I'm good with it. We see the healer and we see the healed. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them. Have you lost your compassion for people? Have you seen too many of the same news reports that you don't even care anymore? Are you still moved by compassion for people? Do you care? Because I promise you, God's moved by compassion in your life. He loves you. He cares about you. Do you have compassion? Because I, I believe this. I believe that there's things that stand in the way of God being able to flow in us and through us. And if you've hardened your heart, if you're bitter and critical and cynical, it's gonna be hard for the spirit of God and his character to work in you and through you. He wants to. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. They followed him. And I think that's the last step. No matter what, no matter what, you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. I've said this before. I think it's worth repeating over and over and over again. Ask yourself the question in any given situation, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? There are a lot of different titles. There's a lot of different high, uh, headlines. There's a lot of different things that we could point to as the issues in our nation. And I wanna promise you this, we have one issue, it is sin, period. Jesus stayed singularly focused. He didn't get distracted. Jesus lived in one of the most politically charged times in the history of mankind. How much did he touch politics? There was disease, there were riots, 
There were killings. It was crazy. What did Jesus focus on? I believe his standard and his character is still relevant today. So maybe you need to put your what would Jesus do bracelet back on or a few of them. Hang them all over the place. Put them on your kids. Maybe we just need to be reminded what really matters. Follow Jesus. It's interesting that in the, in the original language, when that, when that name or that title, Lord, okay, first of all, that immediately is communicating, I'm submitted, whatever you wanna do, okay? Lord, son of David, that was a title specifically given to the Messiah. Not everybody was using that title. There were a lot of people who, who, who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah yet. There was a lot of people that were just giving him other titles. The religious people, the people consumed by the law, they certainly were not calling him the son of David. That title was only given by a few people in scripture. Most of the time it was people that were hurting and just recognized who he was. What I think is so amazing is two blind men saw Jesus for who he really was when people who had their sight couldn't see who he was. And I think the most important thing in your life is, is he Lord and is he your savior? Because if you haven't submitted to him as Lord, as we've talked about before, then how can he be your savior? And if he's not your savior, how is he gonna work his miraculous power in you and through you in your life? He wants to. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you recognize because the spirit of the living God, one of the things that the spirit does is it, it bring, he brings conviction. He brings conviction. The word says it's through his gentleness that he draws us to repentance. And so you can know that it's the spirit of God, not when there feels like there's shame and guilt and condemnation, but when you feel this tugging in your heart, and sometimes it's like in the pit of your stomach, like in your gut, like, man, I just can, just know God is messing with me. And that's his spirit. And his spirit in gentleness and compassion and in love, he convicts us. He convicts us. And so he does that to believers. But he also does it to unbelievers to try to draw them to a place where they repent, where they call on Jesus as Lord, Messiah, Savior. And if you're here and you recognize because the spirit of the living God is speaking to you right now, like, hey, you've never truly surrendered to me. You've never called on me as your Lord. You've never submitted your life. You've just tried to do things with your ability, with your intelligence, with your skill, with your giftings, all those things came from me 
But if they're not submitted to me and through me, you're never gonna be fulfilled. You're never gonna have peace. You're never gonna have joy. You won't have hope. The only way you have those things is by surrendering to me. And if you're here and you recognize, man, I, I'm there. I, I don't have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And maybe you feel like, man, I feel like I gave, I committed my life. I, I had a relationship with him at one point, but right now, for whatever reason, you have no confidence about who you are in Christ. And I wanna give you an opportunity to be able to walk out of here knowing knowing that you belong to him, that he is your Lord and Savior. So if you're here and you know you need to call on Jesus, you need to call on him. There may be some other things you need him for, but right now the most important thing, you need him for salvation. You need him for eternity. You need him for your soul. And if you're in a place you recognize that's what you need, nobody's gonna be looking around but as an act of your own free will, just like these two blind men do, they had to step outside of their comfort zone. They did something physically that put their faith into action. And the only thing I'm gonna ask you to do to put your faith into action is just admit, it's me, Pastor. It's me, James. I need Jesus, I'm away from him. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room with some confidence, with some boldness saying, I need him. I need him, got you. Yes, sir, there at the back. Got you, bro, there at the back. When I see you, you can put your hand down or you can leave it up. I got you, bro. Thanks for admitting that. I appreciate that. I respect that boldness. Anybody else? Yes, man. I'm away from him and I need him. I've never truly surrendered my life to him. I've done the Christian thing. <laughs> I've done the church thing. I've never truly given my life to him. Anyone else? Father God, I thank you for those few hands. I thank you that you're meeting them right where they're at, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've been through, what they've done. Today is the day of their salvation. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to their hearts, drawing them to this place. The word says that if you'll believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. And the reason why you confessing it is important is again, because your own ears need to hear it. The enemy needs to hear it. But it's also so that you can be connected and supported and built up by the body of Christ. So I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as you can. One of the ways the Lord set it up for us to declare our faith in Jesus is through water baptism. There's a chance to do that this next week, but right there in your chair, I just want you to have an honest conversation with the Lord. And you can say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, thank you. I confess you as my Lord. I want you to have the reins of my life. I want you to have control. Lead me by your spirit every day. Help me to grow in an understanding of my purpose in you through your word. Help me to be encouraged, supported, and challenged by being connected 
to the body of Christ and other people that believe what I believe. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender to you. And God, I know that there's some other miracles that need to happen in this room. And the most important miracle just happened in at least a few of the people sitting around us. And that is an eternal address change. You've saved their soul. But Lord, there's some other things that are happening in this room and I don't know, I don't know what they are, but you know every detail. You knew before they were ever born what their needs would be even in this moment. And God, I believe that you wanna work. You wanna do miracles. And God, I pray that you would stir a boldness, confidence and faith inside of the people that need a miracle they'd move towards you. They'd move towards you. I pray that you continue to move in the rest of this service in Jesus' name.